So we're reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 29 to 36. And that's page 1043 in the Church Bibles. So that's Luke, chapter 11, verses 29 to 36. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light, and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. It's a, a great pleasure to, to be here um, and given, be given the <coughs> honor of uh, talking briefly uh, to you. As <clears throat> Steve said, my name is Shadi. Don't worry if you mispronounce it. I'm used to that. I'm always called Shady, but I want to assure you I'm not a Shady character. <clears throat> and <clears throat> my, friend in, my friends in the States call me Slim Shady. I don't know if you're familiar with the horrible song by uh, Eminem. Um, um, it's, a, it's a bad song, don't, don't, don't look it up, don't look it up. Uh, I'm here as a PhD student, and if you ask my wife what PhD stands for, she will be quick to answer, it stands for permanent head damage. <laughs> not, <laughs> not just for the student, but for the family as well. Now I have a con confession to make. Um, I have a very energetic three-year-old three son. We attend the 1115 uh, service, and he loves the tea and coffee and, of course, snacks time downstairs. And a few months ago, he ran into someone who, who was holding a cup of coffee and spilled the coffee all over. And <clears throat> I was so, so embarrassed, and one of... Uh, uh, the, our friends who attend the same service said, don't worry, 
this man attends the five o'clock service. He, so you will not see him again. <laughs> so, if that is you, I am so, so sorry. So sorry. Um, when, we, when we first came here two years ago, we, we really didn't do much church shopping. Um, it was locked down and we hated church online. We didn't understand what that is. So it was about four months without church. And then the first church we attended was Christ, uh, Christ Church. Uh, David Todd was preaching. Uh, he had a ladder on the, on the stage and he ran up and down the ladder talking about the theology of glory and the theology of, um, of, of faith and of the cross. And um, for some reason, the whole, our whole family found this very, very entertaining. And we decided to, to stay here. So uh, we've been here ever, uh, ever since. Um, I want to take the chance, before we open up God's word, I want to take the chance actually to, to thank you, to thank um, Christ Church, but also to thank um, the people of Britain, because without you, maybe without your grandparents who took the illogic, unreasonable step to leave the comfort and safety of uh, an advanced country like this and move to a poor, messed up country like Egypt maybe 100 or 90 years ago, I don't think I would have been a Christian. I don't think any of my parents would have been a Christ Christians. So thank you. Um, I hope that this continues. I know this continues. I'm, I'm, I'm very encouraged to see this group of uh, young people uh, going out for ministry. Um, and you know, the missionaries who came to Egypt were not always long-term missionaries. Some of them just came to, for two weeks, a month, six months, and they left a deep and strong impression on, on us as uh, Egyptians. So you will be in, in my prayers as you go on, on your ministry. And if you ever meet uh, an Arab speaking who misses speaking Arabic or who longs for an Egyptian meal, please send, send them our way. We'd be, happy to, uh, we'd be happy to help. In, <clears throat> in Luke's gospel, what we read uh, just, just now, we see how people always misunderstand Jesus. They have, they, they really don't understand who he is. He's always misunderstood. Nobody seems to understand who Jesus really is. And you, we find this from the beginning of the story. King Herod does not see Jesus as the Messiah, the gentle, the humble Messiah who is coming to save the lost, but he understands him to be this great political uh, challenge to him. So he very quickly uh, requests that he is killed. Um, Jesus, when he went to the temple and read uh, the passage from, from Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. 
identifying himself as the Messiah, the promised Messiah, Luke tells us that people were furious. Who are you? You can't be the Messiah. You're the son of the carpenter. And then in our passage, just before, in the beginning of, of Luke 11, Jesus was performing the ministry of the kingdom, the ministry of the spirit. He was driving out demons. He was healing possessed people. And this was again misunderstood. You are doing these miracles, you are driving out demons by the devil himself, by the power of the devil. Of course, Jesus showed them how confused the, their reasoning is. How can the kingdom of the devil be against itself? It's illogic, but that's the way they thought. That's the way they saw what Jesus is doing. As part of this misconception, Luke tells us that people started asking Jesus to, to prove his identity, to give them a sign, prove that you are really the Messiah. And here Luke is very careful to stress the fact that God does not like to be known this way. He doesn't like it when he's asked for signs. If we go, go back to the beginning of Luke's gospel, again, Luke is careful to uh, tell us about an incident. Zechariah, if you remember, an angel came and preached a, a very joyful uh, message to Zechariah. You are going to have a son. And what was his response? Give me a sign. Prove what happened. The angel said, because you did not have faith, because you asked for a sign, you will be speechless until this good news come to pass. Um, again, when Jesus was crucified, remember what the soldiers said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself, prove it. The criminal, the thief, um, who was crucified next to Jesus, said the same thing. If you are the king of the Jews, prove it. Save us and save yourself. But thankfully, um, Jesus does not allow that. Jesus does not surrender to the human need for signs. I mean, we have to ask ourselves, why do we do that? Why, why do humans misunderstand Jesus, misconceive Jesus? Why do humans ask for signs? Why do we fail to recognize who Jesus is? The fact is, behind this request for signs is a human tendency to, know, to want to know God on our own terms, under our own conditions, in our own circumstances. And what we end up doing when we 
when we imagine God in our own terms is that we build up a big human being, not a God, not a God. A famous theologian said that humans are always uh, prone to building God as humanity writ large. Maybe God is, uh, uh, has a mind, but he's much, much more intelligent that we, than we are. He sees, but his sight is much better than, than we are. He's powerful, just like we, have, we possess this uh, uh, strength. He is all-powerful. Uh, but we end up building a God, building a statue of a human being, a great human being which is nothing like God. We might uh, feel that the, the two passages, uh, the one about John, Jonah's sign and the, the next one about the lamp and the, and, the, and the light, we might think of these passages as separate, not linked, but they are. If we look closely, you'll find that all what was happening before Jesus driving out demons, people telling them, telling him, you do this by the power of Satan, Beelzebub, um, um, asking him for a, for a sign. The last thing he says, the last paragraph, is, why is that? Why do you misunderstand me? Why, do you are asking, why are you asking for signs? In other words, Jesus kind of diagnoses the human condition. Behind not seeing Jesus for he really is, is not an innocent misjudgment, but it's a human tendency to reject God, to reject God's revelation a kind of spiritual blindness that's deeply rooted in the human nature. It's not a fault. It's not a, a single error, an individual error. It's blindness. It's blindness. And Jesus wants to tell the people that the problem is not me. The problem is not God. The problem is with your eyes. The Christianity, the first Christians, were known to have turned the world upside down, known to um, reverse the, uh, the, 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 the standards of the world. Though that who loses his life actually is saving it. And that who is trying to save his life is actually losing it. Um, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us about the power of the cross. And he says, Jews demand a sign and Gentiles demand wisdom. But the word of the cross 
is for Jews a stumbling block, and it's, a, it's foolishness to, to Gentiles. What, what we humans see as great is in the sight of God, nothing. But what we see as humans as weakness, shame, it is in the eyes of God or in the hands of God, the power of God for salvation. So, every time we, we, we read the Gospels, every time we are faced with um, the word of God, we are faced actually with two words. The first word is about us. And it's usually bad news. God's telling us we're kind of blind. We, we, have a, we have an innate problem with recognizing God and his ministry, recognizing Jesus, recognizing the spirit and what he is uh, doing. But then there is a second word. It's a word of hope. Well, how, how does God deal with these people? He, he, he says that... Um, Jesus says that this, this generation is wicked. This is a wicked generation. But just as Noah came to preach salvation to Nineveh, so did the Son of Man. He is assigned to preach salvation to this wicked generation. How does God respond to the um, blindness to the stubbornness and the boastfulness of us humans? Well, the response is love. The response is humbleness. The response is that he teaches us. He sends the spirit, just like he did with Saul. Uh, Ananias prayed for Saul because Saul was blinded when he met Jesus. He had to be blinded. He had to be blinded physically for, for his spiritual eyes to open and see the things as Jesus sees it. When uh, Ananias prayed for him, what happened was that scales came out of his eye, dropped out of his eye, and he came to, to see again. His spiritual eyes were opened. And this is the good news. Yes, we are stubborn. Yes, we are boastful. Yes, we have our own um, sinful mind. We want to uh, see God in our own terms and know him in our own terms. But the good news is that God is love. God loves us. God, through his spirit, is here to open our eyes and to give us spiritual sight again. But then what happens when the Spirit opens our eyes? Well, we see things differently. We become like, unlike Zachariah and more like Mary. Zechariah said, I want a sign. 
when the angel came and asked and told him that he will have a son. But Mary, when the angel came and told her that you will have a baby, she said, let it be. It's illogic, it's unreasonable, but if you say so, God, let it be. And she saw this upside-down world. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. That's illogic. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Or we might be like Simeon, who said that you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. In the temple, when Jesus as a baby was, was brought, there were many people. I think it was packed full with people praying and doing all sorts of stuff. But it was Simeon who had the spiritual eyes to see that this is not just an ordinary baby. This is not just another family bringing their son to be offered in the temple. This is the Son of God. This is the power of God for salvation. I cannot give you a prescription of what happens or what the open-eyed life is like. But for the world, sometimes it's illogic. Sometimes it's like those British missionaries who left the country and came to a poor country to evangelize. Sometimes it's like the early Christians who would walk, whose direction was always against the worldly direction. When, when there was uh, a plague in a city, the, 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 the people would escape, but they would know that those people are Christians who are going the, the opposite direction, who are going towards the city to help the dying, to help the sick. It is an open spiritual eyes that see Jesus hanging on a cross, not, as a, not just as a humble servant, but the King of kings and Lord of lords who ruled the earth and ruled the heavens. Uh, my prayer is that God would, through his spirit, open our eyes today. It's not just the initial opening of the eyes when we come to know Jesus and get saved. As Steve said, along the Christian life, there are still scales in our eyes. We still do not perceive God's actions as they are, as they really are. And God, the merciful God, his response is always the same. Uh, 
to always have mercy, as the prayer book says. This is like a, uh, it's, it's a trait in God, to always have mercy on those who reject God, even as Christians, reject his ways. He is here by his spirit to touch our eyes and to open our eyes to what he's doing in our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we ask you to open our eyes to see where you are working in our lives. Help us, Lord, to accept those things which might look and seem alien and accept them as your work, your finger working in our lives. Help us, Lord, to get to know you as King and Redeemer and open our eyes daily to see the beauty of your work around us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.